So thankful to be with you guys this morning. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me a while to the uh, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we will be this morning. But if you could also, while you're um, kind of doing that, go ahead and move over to 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 13, and 14. Uh, 12 and 14, we're going to look at those uh, verses a little bit this morning as well. You know, today is Super Bowl Sunday, they say, right? Is today Super Bowl Sunday? Um, now, I don't really care, uh, but some of you do. And it's just like whatever. But here's the, here's the thing that I want to, like, do you think that the fact that we play this game of football in the U.S., um, today, Super Bowl Sunday, do you think that football has any impact on kind of the, the health of our country? Some say yes, some say no. All right, so, so here's the thing. Today at the Super Bowl, there's going to be uh, 22 guys on each. There's going to be 22 guys on the field, right? I think there's 11. On, is that right? I have no idea. There's going to be some guys on the field. And, um, but there's going to be millions of people watching the game. And out of those millions of people who are watching the game, millions of those people are going to be in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> and they're going to be watching men who by about halftime are most likely going to be in desperate need of some rest, right? Now, that analogy is often a picture of the church. There is something far more important at play than, the fo- than a football game. Take nothing away from it. I'm not here to, like... But we, the church have a mission. There's work that God has called us as Christians to do. We're going to see that there is, that that we are to do the work of the ministry. One of my jobs is to equip the church, to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Not to do the work of the ministry, but so often in the church, we think that we've hired someone to do the work of the ministry. But the people who are in paid positions like myself or Rubens, we are in those positions to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But in America, especially within Western culture, so much of culture and society lives through watching other people do stuff. Now, again, that's okay. I don't, I don't quite identify with that. Like, I don't love spending hours of my Sunday afternoon watching someone else play something. I'd rather, but again, it's not wrong. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not wrong if people like that and they get enjoyment and they get like, rest out of that. And, and, but that's not how, but, but so often in the church, there are people who want to view the church the same way. I'm just going to roll in and I hope they have some, I hope they sing the songs I like. I hope they, you know, I hope they have a good children's ministry. Like I'm not going to help, but I hope they have a good one. See what I mean? and, and so what happens is there are so many people in the church in America who are viewing what is going on in the church almost like we would watch a football game. And it cripples churches. It, it's so, now, again, I, I am so thankful because at Redeemer, there has been so many people who just willingly got in the trenches to see this thing be where it is today. So many people. But what can happen as a church grows and a church begins to develop more systems and process, 
hire more staff. There can be kind of this thing where we can just sit back and not use our gifts, but that's not what God intends. God intends, because of the gifts that he's given each and every one of us, that you and I together are the church, are the body of Christ. And he is building us together, says, as living stones to be a dwelling place for God. But he's given us all different gifts, just like our body. Our body has different, like, I have hands, I have, I have fingers, I have, I have ears, I have a nose, I have, like, these different, I have feet. And, and, and my body needs all of them to do their part. And within the church, we are a body. And if everyone is doing their part, it's a healthy body. But if you ever had one part of your body not work quite right, and it throws your entire body off, yeah, like I, I think we, we've all experienced those things. We've all experienced these things. But today we will see that God has established leaders within the church to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Who are they? It's us. It's us. Christians. God has established leaders with certain giftings in the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, these gifts we saw last week are given by Christ. They're given to unify us, not, not to create uniformity, but to create unity and to create power. We're going to see today that as the fullness of the expression of Christ's gifts are established and cultivated within the church, that is when the fullness of Christ is known in the local expression of the church and for the watching world to see. So read with me Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's, before we move on to our outline, let's just bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, you alone are worthy of all glory and majesty. All power and authority and dominion is yours both now and forever. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that allows us to be forgiven and redeemed and adopted into the family of God. Jesus, thank you for descending to the earth, for being victorious over Satan, sin, hell, and death. Thank you for sitting at the right hand of the Father where you are interceding for us. Thank you for giving us gifts. Pray that we would use them for your glory, for the edification of the church and the common good. But Father, we also know that we have an enemy who wants to seek, to destroy, to devour, to lie, to divide, to disunify. So Father, I ask that you would protect us, that you would protect us as a church, protect our families, protect our marriages, protect our children from the schemes and the wiles of the enemy. We pray these things. 
in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so gifts are given. Gifts are given. We see that in verse 4. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 7 of Ephesians 4. We looked at that last week. But grace was given to each one. Now, this word grace here, um, in this context, it's referring to uh, the grace of God, of Christ, giving to us gifts. So, but grace was given to each one of us. It was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So, gifts are given, Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 6, it says this, that um, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Okay, so gifts differ. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So last week we saw that gifts are given by Christ to everyone. Everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, who is a Christian, has a spiritual gift, not a natural gift. Now, sometimes your natural giftings and your spiritual gifts kind of, they, they coincide. But, but non-believers have natural gifts. This spiritual gift that he's talking about here, that as a Christian, we have all been given at least one gift. Ephesians 4, our passage for today, he says that um, he's given... Uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So he's given these gifts. Gifts are given, point number one, in variety. In variety. There's a variety of gifts. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, uh, the teacher, or the evangelists, the teachers, the shepherds. It's a variety of things. Now, those are primarily leadership giftings. Those gifts that he's referring to there in Ephesians 4, verse 11, are primarily leadership giftings. Not everyone has those types of giftings, but some do. But then he goes on, and uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, that's what we just read that, now there are a variety of gifts. That means that my gift and your gift may be very different. There's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Here's the thing. It's the same spirit of God who gives them, who empowers them, Christ gives them, the Spirit empowers them. It's the same Spirit. There's a variety of gifts. So gifts are given in variety. And there are a variety of services. But the same Lord, and there's a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for, for what? For, go ahead, what is it? For the common good. For the common good. Each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So your spiritual gift, is it for you? Well, it's not a trick question. Is it for you? No, it's not for you. It's for the common good. So my gifts are for you. Your gifts are for me and for the church. Like, like that, that's how it works. So each one is given, but there's a variety of these gifts. Uh, now, if we read on in 2 Corinthians 12, for to one is given the Spirit, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Have you ever met people who just have so much faith? There are some people who just have more faith than others. They just, they're risk takers. They just believe, they just have faith. That is a spiritual thing that God sometimes gives some people a greater measure of faith. And they just have faith. They just believe like, that, that God will do and that God will work. But it's all the same to another, by the same spirit, the gifts of healing. By one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the, the ability to distinguish between spirits, that would be like discernment, 
to another various kinds of tongue, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So clearly, there is a variety of gifts. Now, what we're going to see this morning, even in Romans in Romans uh, 12, uh, we, he lists some other things. Having gifts that differ according to the grace, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, our serving. Some people, have you ever been around people who just, they serve so well, so graciously, so joyfully. They just, they're constantly serving people. That's a spiritual, like that's a gift. What it's saying here is that is a gift. Uh, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in his generosity. There are some people that God has given the ability to be generous. He's given them the ability to make and acquire more wealth, and that is one of their gifts that he has given to them, that they could be a blessing to the church. That's just what it says. To one gener- and we're all like, well, I want that gift. I want the gift of generosity because that means, well, do you? Do you? Because with anything that God gives us comes responsibility. And we often say we want the gift of generosity, not because we want to increase our standard of giving, but we want to increase our standard of what? Living, right. But to one who's given the, um, to, the one who exhort, who, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the ones who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Have you ever met somebody who's just so merciful? They're just so merciful. Like these are things, these are ways that God is, so there's a variety of gifts. That, now, this is not an exhaustive list. Like of these lists that I looked at this morning, this isn't like, well, that's all the spiritual gifts. I don't know that the Bible gives us an exhaustive list of what all the spiritual gifts are, but it's giving us kind of an overview of them, that there are gifts given and they're given in variety. Now, however, something like this always would come with some disagreement. And there's disagreement within the church about which gifts are all the gifts active today. What does that look like today? And so there's some disagreement there on those things. And and, um, there's two kind of positions. If I could just take a moment, I hate using words like this because we believe caricatures of one another when we use words like this. But there would be two primary theological positions when it comes to the gifts, uh, especially the supernatural gifts. There are those that would say they're cessationists. They believe that the gifts have ceased. Those supernatural gifts have ceased. And then there's others who would, who would be kind of continuous. They believe that they've continued. Now, can I just say this? Like, in some sense, we are all cessationists. As a Christian, we are all, in some sense, cessationists. Why? Because we believe that some things that God has ordained have ceased. Okay? We, the new covenant brought an end to what? The old covenant, which the old covenant ceased. Uh, so when Christ became the sacrifice once for all for sins, the Old Testament sacrifices ceased. Uh, we no longer have to follow the Old Testament uh, dietary laws because they have ceased. Okay, so there's in some sense. And so now how does that square with God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Well, he is the same yesterday and today and forever, but he begins to do things differently as we move into different eras of life. Now, there are those who believe that the supernatural gifts of the Spirit ceased. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. That would not be my position. That would not be our position. Now, stay with me in a moment, though, because some of you have no idea of the tension, and you're probably the ones that are better off. Um, And and so just kind of hear me to the end here. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is one of the areas that cessationists would go who, who teach that the supernatural gifts no longer exist. 
This would be the primary uh, support passage, 1 Corinthians, uh, starting in uh, chapter 13. So we were in chapter 12 there for a while, but now let's go to 13, verse 8. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Let, let me back up. 1 Corinthians 13, he's laying out. So what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is, is in Corinth there was an overemphasis of the spiritual gifts, and especially an overemphasis on the gift of tongues. And it was causing a lot of division and condescension in the church. And people were looking down on others. And Paul, they thought in Corinth that tongues was the highest gift. And Paul flips this order for him here in 1 Corinthians. But at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, that you should earnestly desire the higher gifts. So prior to that, he listed off the gifts kind of in an order of what he thought was the higher gifts, the most that should be given more priority to. And then he brought it down at the end. But he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. What is this more excellent way? Well, what comes in chapter 13? It's a love chapter. If you're able to do all these things, but you do not have love, you're a clanging gong, a noisy cymbal. If you give everything away you have to the poor and sell your body, like, but you don't have love, it's, it's pointless, it's worthless. If, if everything that we do is driven out of a love for God and a love for others, it's, it's of no value. So even spiritual gifts, if it's not, if we're using them, not out of love of what was happening in Corinth, they weren't loving each other well, and instead of unifying the body of Christ, it was disunifying the body of Christ. Wouldn't that be just like the enemy to use some of the things that God has intended to build up the church, to empower the church, to cause division over it? Of course it would be. That would be exactly like him to do that. But there he goes on in verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, here's where I believe some get pulled off center, if you will. Some believe that it says there when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away, that the word of God is the perfect that he's talking about. Now, hear me. Is God's word perfect? Is God's word perfect? It's perfect. It's perfect. It is absolute authority. Um, nothing is added. Nothing is taken away. The canon of Scripture is closed. It's perfect. But I don't believe that's the perfect he's talking about. And the reason I don't believe that is because you move on. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Has the perfect come? I, because Listen what he says. When I was a child, I spoke of a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up, away, I gave away, or gave up childish ways. For now we see in part a mirror dimly, but then face to face. That hasn't happened yet. When is that going to happen? At the return of Christ. I think the perfect that he's talking about here is at the return of Christ. When we ascend to heaven with the Father, with the Son, and now we see dimly. We understand, but there's mysteries. Even when you read the Word of God, there are mysteries, especially when it comes to this topic, exactly how the Holy Spirit works. We see dimly. We, we, we kind of understand, but we don't have a fullness of the understanding of actually what is taking place here. But God has given us exactly what He wants us to know. So by faith, we believe. and So I don't believe when it says the perfect is coming. So some believe that if what he's talking about here is the perfect is come in the scripture, and scripture is perfect. I'm not, it is authoritative. Do you guys hear me? I'm not minimizing the word of God. But I don't believe that's the perfect that he's talking about. So I don't believe these supernatural gifts have ceased. They may look different. 
And I think they are different in different cultures and in different eras of the church. But now let's go back to verse 11. And he gave the apostles. Well, this is a term that gets abused, misused in the church often. Um, we have no capital A apostles today. The apostles that we saw in the New Testament, they were men chosen by Christ, commissioned by Christ, and they saw his resurrected body. Certainly, um, 11 of the, like there's 12 apostles, Revelation 21 speaks with specificity that there's the names of the 12 apostles on the foundation of the walls that are around the new city, the new Jerusalem that's in heaven. Very specific, 12 apostles. Who are the 12? Well, certainly uh, 11 of the 12 disciples, I would believe, excluding Judas. And most likely, I would believe uh, the Apostle Paul would be the 12 names on us. So that, but these were men that could speak for God. They could write the word of God. They were, they, were, they were laying out the pattern for the New Testament church. But they were commissioned by Christ. They saw Christ. They were the only capital A apostles. And we don't have capital A apostles today. Now, there are people who have the apostolic gifting, but they're not apostles. Does that make sense? You, you don't call them an apostle. Uh, but apostle just means sent one. Just means sent one. They're, they're people who are on a mission. Today, we see them primarily as like church planners or missionaries. But then they were commissioned by Christ. Now, I believe when Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 11, he's given, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, by putting them right in there, uh, apostles, prophets, uh, teachers, evangelists, shepherds, he, he's alluding to the fact that that gifting will continue on. Uh, now, again, apostles, are, those who have the apostolic gifting are just messengers, right? planner, church planners and, and missionaries. They don't hold the office of an apostle because we don't have those today. Now, he also says prophets. Now, is the prophets that he's talking about here the same prophets that we see in the Old Testament? Capital P prophets? I don't think so. Because the prophets like Moses, like Elijah, like Ezekiel, they could pen the words of God. We don't have those people today. Like no one can speak the word. Like, the only, like we speak for God, but not the words of God. Does that make sense? It's, it's a difference. But don't get stuck in the weeds on this. Like, don't overcomplicate this. Um, usually in the Old Testament, a prophet called nations to repentance. Sometimes they would foretell the future. Okay? But prophets in the Old Testament and even the early parts of the New Testament, they were people who could speak the word of God. They prophesied to nations, usually calling to repentance. But in Acts chapter 11, it was a guy by the name of Agabus. It says, And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit, that would be some sort of prophetic utterance, that there would be a great famine over the world, and this took days in the, blaze of, in the days of Claudius. Now, he also predicted Peter's imprisonment. Now, this is New Testament, Acts chapter 11, where this guy was prophesying by the Spirit, he foretold by the Spirit something that was going to happen. Well, how does that work today? I don't fully know. 
but he predicted Paul's imprisonment. The daughters of Philip, it says, were gifted in the gift of prophecy. Paul in 1 Corinthians speak of, speaks of women praying and prophesying in the church. Now, I believe largely what this is talking about in the New Testament church is that those who proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. Now, have you ever been in a service where the preacher is preaching? Maybe you've never met the guy before, maybe, but you feel like maybe he was in your house that week. And he heard your conversations, he read your email, like, who told him that? Have you ever had that feeling? Like, something's weird here, how does he know? That's the Spirit of God, through the gifting of the communicator, not because he's a prophet, but that gifting is being made manifest. It says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, he goes on and says this in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 14 verse um, 24, he talks about this. He, he talks about people being cut to the heart. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever and outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to count by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, we could get into the complications of that. But what I just want you to see here, there are times there are people who have the gifting that when they preach and proclaim the authority of God's word, people are like the same from the same message. Oftentimes, you will hear multiple people say, who told you? How did you know? Someone had to tell them. I, I hear that often. People come up to me and be like, did someone have a conversation? I'm like, no. I, I, see, but see, that's the Spirit of God through the mouth of the preacher revealing even sometimes the secrets. Now, can, does someone the gift of teaching have the ability to do this as well? Uh, probably. Probably, um, but he talks about apostles and prophets, and these are two in the church today that some would just like to like like we're not even going to talk about that. And I don't believe that's healthy or wise. I think we have to embrace the mystery that there's some tension there, and we don't fully understand the complexities of it all. And to like shut ourselves off to it completely is wrong, and to become obsessed with it and divisive over it is wrong. See, but he's talking about it here. Now, Paul, he also tells us, as I said earlier, in verse 31 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, that we should earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, prior to that, he had just given a list of gifts. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Hear me, it's not an exhaustive. But he's saying that there are some gifts that are higher. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, Second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. But are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do works of miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? He's like, no, not everyone possesses all of those gifts. But then he goes on, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. You can desire and ask God for something that you don't have yet. I believe you can. You can go to the Lord and say, God, I would really like if you would do this in me. But here, why do you want it? Why would you ask God for something? I, I, you should. I, because I believe Paul is saying that, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. If your motive and intent for asking God for more of something or something that you don't have is for your own glory, 
why would he give it to you? If it's, it's for the common good, for the edification of the church, for the building up of the body of Christ, it's not for you. It's not for me. It's for him. And, but it's not wrong to desire, to desire more. We should desire them. In Ephesians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, it says, pursue love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Now, what was going on in Corinth? There was tension. There was division in the church. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul is correcting the division that was in the church because of spiritual gifts. There was an overemphasis of the gift of tongues in the church. There was an overemphasis on, these, on tongues in the church. There was an overemphasis on those over and putting those things ahead of other things. Now, there are churches, there are cultures that immediately put an emphasis on one over the other. And so Paul was correcting that in 1 Corinthians. He's correcting that, and he, but, he, but he's telling them here, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, Pursue love, earnestly desire their spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, but not to men, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For one who under, and no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So he, 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 he's saying that, that there are some that are of greater value than others. But here's what happens so often. Like if you have the gift of helps or the gift of service, maybe, well, that's not an important gift. Is it an important gift? Yes. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is called? Our helper. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. And don't think for a moment, don't think for a moment that the Holy Spirit being called our helper is minimizing him. God apportioned, we saw this last week, whatever he gives and whatever proportion to whoever he wants. And who are we to say to the gift giver, well, you, like, but it's okay to desire others. But if you won't use and walk in the ones you already have, why would he give you more? Why would he give you a greater manifestation of something if you're not willing to use what he's already given you? Gifts are given in variety. Now he goes on and he says, he talks about evangelists, shepherds, teachers. So he's, what is an evangelist? An evangelist like um, Billy Graham, Greg Laurie. There are men like that that are gifted as evangelists. Rubens and I could get up and preach the same message and give an invitation at the end, and like three people trickle down front. Greg Laurie gives it, and like half the stadium empties out. Why? Because he's gifted as an evangelist. Um, people, like Ruben is a compelling teacher. I'm not really a teacher. Like I'm not as... Uh, I believe Rubens is much more of a shepherd than I am. Like, like he's compassionate. He cares. Now you're like, well, don't you care? I care. But not, like there's some people who just care more. Does that make sense? I, 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 it's just my wife is very shepherding, very compassionate. And, and I am, but just not as much as some. That's all. Just different. And, but those are, but because none of us have all the gifts. None of us have all of them. And that's why you bring people, that's why the church body working together is a fuller expression. He talks about gifts of healing, gifts of generosity, helps, tongues. Like, well, talk to us about tongues. We don't have time for that today. It's not important. I don't think it's that important. 
I think there's so much stir within, there's been so much stir about it within the church. And like Paul, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, he, is, it, is, it, is it a gift? Yes, I'm not minimizing it. But, but there's way too much stir about that, those types of things. There's gifts of these other gifts. But here's the thing, when it comes to the supernatural, sometimes people allow their experiences to interpret the Bible. Should never happen. Your experiences cannot interpret the Bible, but you know what the Bible can interpret? Your experiences. And so I don't go to God's word with my experiences and interpret God's word with that. I take my experiences to God's word and what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've, what I've like, the things that I've saw with my own eyes, heard with my own ears, and I take it to God's word and I measure it. You know, one of the places that I've spent a fair amount of time in is in Sub-Saharan Africa. And one of the places um, is Ethiopia. And in Ethiopia, I've worked with um, a man there, and our church has given some money to this uh, ministry already. Um, but uh, Ambrosia International Prayer Ministry, Dr. Desta Langina is the head of it. And um, one of the things that they do is they establish missionaries which kind of have the ap that apostolic gifting, mission missionaries, messengers, sent ones, and they, they're establishing these missionaries in these unreached people groups. And um, one of the places that they often are working in areas that, where there's a lot of, uh, like, you know, heavy infiltration of radical Islam. And this one missionary was sent to this village, and, and I met this missionary. His name is Tesfas. And um, Tesfil went to this village and was this area, remote part of the southern part of the country, um, just a radical Muslim stronghold. And they go there as missionaries, but they're, they're always bivocational. So the mission agency supports them, AIPM, but they also are working. And so Tesfil was a seamstress, is a seamstress. So he makes clothes, he fixes clothes, and as he's there working, he shares the gospel. And there was a group of radical Muslims who were persecuting him, and he was fearful of his life. But I met this Muslim imam who was one of the guys who was persecuting him. And this Muslim imam said one night he was sleeping. He said, in the middle of the night, I had a dream. He said, it was, I was sleeping. I didn't wake. I had this dream. And in my dream, a being came to me that, like I would never saw before and said, this Jesus whom Tesfa tells you is God. And he woke up. And he was terrified. And he runs, and he pounds on Tesfa's door. Now, Tesfa thinks he's there to kill him. But Tesfa lets him in. He shares the gospel. The, God is, the guy is radically saved. Because God supernaturally intervened. Gave that man a dream. Now, I could tell you stories like that for the next hour and a half. Of people that I've seen and I've heard with my own eyes. So either they're lying or God works in ways that we sometimes don't think he does yet. Now, do we see those types of things in America? That, not, not that much. Uh, but they're seeing them often in parts of the world where the word of God is not established and where there is not a gospel presence yet. Just like in the book of Acts. God is still a supernatural God. Now, we may differ on what we think gifts are operating, how they, but they're not essential doctrines. Does that make sense? We don't need to divide. These gifts, we see very clearly, are supposed to unify, not divide. 
so we can differ. But Ephesians 4, verse 11, he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints to equip. Gifts are given to equip. Number two, point number two, gifts are given to equip. He's given them to equip. So God has given these leadership gifts to equip the saints, to equip the saints. Uh, the gifts that God has given me, the gifts that God has given Rubens, uh, they, they are for us to equip you, the church, to do the work of the ministry. That's why, they're, that's why they're given, to equip, to prepare. What does it mean to be equipped? To prepare, to make ready, to give what is needed. We don't hire people to do ministry. We equip you to do ministry. As a church, you know, uh, before the first service, someone was sharing with me how this week, in, um, as she was working, she works in the medical field, and someone came into her office and was sharing about some things that were difficult going on in her life, and she just really press, wrestled through whether or not she should like, share the gospel, share the hope of Christ with this person, and she, she did. She shared uh, her faith, the hope of the gospel, and, and prayed with this person in an area of this person's life who was struggling. That's, this is someone who's doing what we call marketplace evangelism. They're just living their life, doing their job, and when God gives them opportunities, they share. But we are here to equip you to do it. And so then that you would have a place to invite people to. We're here to equip you. We don't hire people to do ministry. Now, we hire people because they do ministry. But ultimately, our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, Back to the football game. It's afternoon. I honestly, I'm not even sure I know who's playing. Are the 49ers one of them? Who's the other one? Chiefs, I was going to say, the other one's a red team. But there's going to be 22 guys on the field. I know there's more guys on the team. There'll be more than 22 guys. But there's 22 guys on the field at the time playing the game. But in the church, we can't have 22 guys doing the work of the ministry. Now, what I'm so thankful for here at Redeemer, especially because of the way we started so large and just so quick, there were so many people got involved and got in the trenches. But here's going to be the tendency, is that as we go, it'll become more and more easy just to step back and to just be one of the people who wants to watch from the stands. And that can't happen. That cannot happen. Because we, the body of Christ, are called to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Gifts are given to equip. Again, Reuben's job is to equip people. Bethany, part of her job is to, like, she is the one who kind of equips and helps the worship team get everything in order. And, and this is how we're going to do things, to equip the volunteers to do the work of the ministry. Uh, Lisa and Children's Ministry, Sharon on Wednesday night Children's Ministry, to equip the saints to do the work. To equip, number three, gifts are given to build up. Gifts are given to build up. There it is at the end of verse 12. To, or, all of verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. Gifts are given to build up. They're not for you. They're for the common good. Therefore, the edification of the church, so gifts are given in variety 
They're given to, to, to equip, and then they're given to build up. So my giftings largely stem towards equipping you. Then your equipping is to build up the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As we, as the local body of believers, in unity, walk in the giftings that God has given us, we will better, we will be a fuller expression of who Christ is in our community. In Ephesians 2.22, it says, In him you also are being built into a dwelling place for God. The variety of gifts are given to build up and strengthen the church. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. Now he moves into this, this picture of the physical body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We're the body, but it doesn't consist of one member or one gifting, is what he would imply. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he has chosen. Verse 27, now you are all the body of Christ and individual members of it. So here's the picture. Paul uses the metaphor of a physical body. We have hands, we have a nose, we have a mouth. But if the hand says, because I'm not a foot or because I'm not a mouth, I'm not part of the body. So if you would say, well, because I don't have, because I only have a gift of help, so a gift of service, I'm not really that important. That's, that's what Paul's saying. And if you're like, well, I'm not going to use mine. If any part of your body stops working properly, it hinders the rest of your body significantly. And so Paul's giving this metaphor, this picture of the, that the church is like a physical body. You have a gift that God has intended for you to use for the edification, the common good of the entire church to see it built up. When all the gifts come together, they together are a fuller expression of Christ. That's what we see in verse 10. Ephesians 4, verse 10. He who descended is the one who is also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. In the end of verse 13, he says, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. All of these things are to build us up to be a fuller expression because Christ had all the gifts. Christ had all the gifts. We don't, I don't, you don't, but together we are a fuller expression being built together. Apostles, they're messengers, they're church planters, prophets, they speak the truth. Evangelists, the lost get saved. Teachers, they're saved or matured. See, what it, see, see how it all works together. People with gifts of help, people with gifts of generosity, all of these things working together. Shepherds feed, protect, care for. Gifts are given to build up. Number four, gifts are given to guide to maturity. <laughs> gifts are given to guide to maturity. Verse 13 For the building up of the body of Christ until we all, all, how many of us? It's not a trick question. All of us. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All of these things are to guide us towards unity, to knowledge of the faith, 
It's to guide us towards maturity. Next week, we're going to talk about that. The rest of um, the next set of verses really talking about growing up in the Lord. So we're not tossed to and fro. But all of these things are meant to build us up so we are a more mature expression of who Christ is. To build us towards maturity. The leadership gifts that he talks about in verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, are to mature and to equip the church to guide us towards the fullness of who Christ is. And if a church or a group of people reject the fullness of the gifts of God, I believe they're rejecting the full expression of who God is. They're rejecting that. That They're not embracing the entirety when we embrace all of the gifts. Now, when we all come together, then the fullness of Christ is realized. See, the gifts that Christ gives, he's given them to all of us. He's given them to us for a purpose, to unify, to build up, to equip us. There's a variety of them. They're given. But on this topic of spiritual gifts, because we talked about things like tongues today. We didn't talk about them, but we mentioned them and healing and miracles. There is a bit of a mystery with all of this. Are you okay with that? But there are some that want it nicely boxed up, nice and tidy. Well, this is how it is today, nice and clean. And, and can I just submit this to you, that that's what the Pharisees wanted to do, and it didn't work out well for them. It didn't work out well for them at all. So we must, as we mature, embrace some mysteries of who Christ is. How the Spirit of God is working. Ephesians 4 verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us? You can grieve Him. Make Him feel grief. In Acts chapter 7, it says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10 verse 29 talks about how we can outrage or offend the Holy Spirit. It depends on translation. In Hebrews there, what it's talking about, if you trample the blood of Christ, you will offend or outrage the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? By professing Christ, by saying that the blood of Christ has been imputed to us, but now we just go on willfully living in unrepentant sin. You outrage the Holy Spirit. You can resist him. You can grieve him. You can outrage him and offend him. So how, how can we do that? By willful, unrepentant sin. I think one of the primary things that the way Christians do that today is by harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. And we'll talk about that in several weeks. People who harbor bitterness and unforgiveness resist, grieve the Holy Spirit. But I think one of the ways that the church does it today is by directing, by rejecting the fullness of Christ's spiritual gifts. By saying that things that are of God are not of God. Does that make sense? Saying that things that God may be doing because you can't understand it or you don't have a theological bucket for it, that it's not of God but is in fact of the enemy must be outrageous to the Spirit of God. And so I think when it comes to these things, we had better be very, very careful how we talk about people who believe something a little bit differently than us. 
that make sense? Or maybe things that we haven't ever experienced before. See, these gifts are given to unify, to build us up. In verse 11, those leadership gifts are to build us up. But it's all to do the work of the ministry. You see what it says? To do the work of the ministry. Some of you have somehow thought that ministry should be easy. Is work easy? Some of you guys, I mean, some of you have jobs that are, you love and it's super easy maybe, but not mo- most of us don't. Work is hard. How many of you feel like getting up and going to work tomorrow morning? You're like, did you? Don't remind me. Right? Work is hard. I've literally heard people say the ministry shouldn't be that hard. Are you kidding me? What, are you, what, like, what world do you live in? Of course ministry is hard. Would it not make sense that it could actually be the most difficult thing you could be engaged in? Ministry is hard. Showing up on a Wednesday night to serve kids when you don't feel like it. Showing up on a Sunday morning to serve children in children's ministry when you don't feel like it. This is why I think it's so important for churches to have two services as much as possible. Worship one, serve one. Worship in one and serve in one. Well, I don't feel it. It's not, I mean, how many of you guys saw Mark Cresswell's face this morning? The guy playing guitar? You guys over here didn't see it. How many over here, everybody over here saw it? The side of his face is like smashed. Not smashed literally, but it's like dinged, swollen. Mark had a scooter accident Friday afternoon. That riding with his son, trying to be a cool dad, tried to jump something, and um, he jumped, but not the something, I guess, and he crashed and burned. Good he had a helmet on, but he saw this, like, big, and you know what? What a great opportunity for Mark to just call and say, hey, I can't, I can't. Man, it's embarrassing to get up in front. I'm sure he's like, this is great, getting up, looking like this, and that would have been a great opportunity for Mark to just say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not gonna, not this Sunday. Now, I'm not saying, there's times that we have to, but Work is hard. Ministry is hard. I can just be vulnerable for a moment. I've been going through some stuff physically. Been in the hospital again this week, and I'm tired, a little bit discouraged. Um, need some answers on some things, and I didn't feel like writing a sermon this week. I, 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 I I'm not feeling it right now. Can I, can I just be honest? But it doesn't change for a moment the things that the Lord has called me to do. And you know one of the things that the Lord did as well? We started a series in James with the students this past Wednesday night. So this Wednesday I'll be starting here. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you experience and encounter trials of various kinds. It almost irritates me that God had me preach that. He's going to have me teach that this Wednesday night to the students. When I'm not really counting it a joy right now, can I just be honest? Ministry is hard, and if you think serving in any capacity and doing kingdom work is going to be easy, it is not. One of the primary 
thing the enemy does. It's to discourage us, to exhaust us. And here's the thing. Some of you, if you've been around the church any length of time, you've been hurt. People say I was hurt by the church. No, you weren't hurt by the church. You were hurt by people in the church. People hurt people. If you're in the church any length of time, you're going to be hurt. What the enemy will take then is that hurt and that pain that you've experienced. And he will get you, he will try to get you to stop using your gifts. Well, I'm going to go, but I'm not getting in the game. I'm not getting in the game. And when he's able to do that, he's able to rob the church of what it is that you bring to the church. He's able to get you to say, I'm not doing it. I'm not risking it anymore. It's not worth it. It's exactly what he would plan to do. And so I would ask you this as we close this portion of our service today. What are you invested in? Are you invested in growing, in your giftings, being strengthened? And I, I know some of you don't like, well, I don't even know what my gifts are. Then just get involved. Start serving in some capacity. Start doing life with people. And people begin to reveal, like, you're really good at that. Rubens is such an encourager, such an exhorter to me. And, and he's really good at that for me. And, and that's what, like, to me, that's one of his spiritual gifts. But as you minister to people, you'll find out what they are. You can do the work of the ministry. And it's hard. But now as we move to take communion, I want you to look at the elements. And I want you to think about Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for you. What a gift that he has given to you. And now think about the fact that he's given you gifts. He's given you a gift or gifts. And his intent would be for you to use them for the edification of the church, for the building up of the body, to do the work of the ministry. Can you imagine after he did this for us, how it feels to him when we're just like, well, I'm not, I'm not using my gifts. Even though he did this for us. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here. But communion is for those who put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've not done that yet, we'll welcome you. We're so glad you're here. But we would ask that you not take communion this morning because if you take communion as a non-Christian, you'll be proclaiming something of yourself that is not true yet and in fact eating and drinking judgment upon yourself and we don't want that for you. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you are welcome. Just take the elements, place them in the tray when you leave. But for those who are in Christ, we take these in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. The gift that he's given to us of salvation. And now he's imparted to us gifts to use for the common good to build up the church towards maturity. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. When he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. He said, take this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you do in remembrance of me. Let's pray.
Father, we're so thankful for your gift, the gift of your son, Jesus, for your sacrifice, your body broken, your blood shed, to redeem us, to forgive us, to remove our sins and our transgressions from us. Father, I pray now that we would embrace the gifts that you have given us, that they would unify us and not divide us that you would use them to build us up and equip us to do the work of the ministry. For your glory, for our glory.